symbolizes the false religion of the world. Every religion that brings draws people away from the true God and his son Jesus Christ falls into Babylon. So 17 and 18 are all about God's destruction of Babylon. And then 19 opens with this roar of praise and celebration and rejoicing in heaven. Um, it says a great multitude. It doesn't define which multitude. Maybe which some tiny little hints that the first roar is from the great multitude of angels, including the four living creatures, the special elders. It might be that the second roar, the great multitude, is all the saints up there in heaven, which is going to be countless, wonderful number, too. But uh, the first roar is a hallelujah, and the substance of that, praise to God, is that Babylon, the prostitute, has been condemned. Second roar, which you know, kind of goes with us being up there saved, the lamb and the spotless bride are going to be married. That's the celebration part of the second roar. So that kind of leans towards maybe the us going, okay. you know, the wedding we've looked forward to so forever. And the wedding that God is about to happen, the bridegroom and Jesus himself are wedded to us for eternity. So that's the, the opening. Part of chapter 19 here, and that's what we've looked at so far. Testimony. And back and to chapter if 19. These don't end uh, up this way. We still have questions about yeah. last Sunday. Okay. I was talking about Let's just briefly mentioned the details of scriptures coming up. Heaven. And I mentioned it's seven, something six. like 1,200 square miles. If you can look it up, I just did it off the top of my head. Well, what do you mean back in the Okay, that's just the way it. No, I understand. Okay, that's Brazil. Supposed to do right. They write okay. people. So it, that's like, that. supposed to check. Supposed to be Bereans. Okay. What do Bereans do? So well, the, right. Well, the actual okay. New Jerusalem. See, heaven, Nigeria should be there. Heaven comes to Earth. Eight. We won't be up there anymore. See, there were four Down countries, here. and I picked out two. And, uh, I called uh, Joe last night. I says, man, I've got about 10 minutes of video. Is that going to work? <laughs> well, that looks nice. So this is Nigeria. Okay. So there we go. All right. The first so, one is, is I really like the first one. Okay, so that one is... Okay, that'll be my first one. Okay. God, God thank you, Jesus. So verse 15, chapter 21, Pray verse 15. The disc people here you say this all the time. Rock, gold, things work out. Cities. I'm not going to worry about it. It was laid out like a square. <laughs> True. As long as it was wide. She <laughs> made the city with the rod and found only 12,000 My note says, I'm sorry, it says 
that's where I made that reference from. No, and then in the four walls is 1,400 miles. That's why I was saying the New Jerusalem is about the size of like a third of America. It's like a third and a half of the United States. Why does it need a wall? still it sounds like so Mexican food German food German music Mexican music it sounds like those things are still a thing and that we still because God loves creativity and individuality and, and variety right you can look it up so and it's and it says the nations will bring in there and that's a, probably especially the millennials you guys get scared <laughs> so Probably specifically, especially the millennium, the thousand years, but the nations bring in the best of their best, you know, as presents and gifts to the God who came in Jerusalem, to Jesus, the ruler of the planet. So they're out there. Yeah, well, it, it's very clear. It says no sin or ickiness or anything like that will be, allowed, will be able to come in. So there's a sense of this is the zone, this is the God zone, and the people of God zone, and nobody else can come in. I wouldn't call it hell, it's, um, especially during the millennium. But even after the millennium, it's you know, new heaven, new earth, it's going to be beautiful. I think we'll go for picnics, we'll go for quarters, I don't know. Do we, do we need to go out of heaven? I don't know. I don't know these things. <laughs> so, I'm doing lots of reading. We'll go deeper and deeper. Uh, I'm trying to grasp some of my notes. I have them all the time. Get really deep to that stuff. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a blast. The chapters 20, 21, 22 are phenomenal stuff. And it's it's so it's so out there for us. Even I, my devotions, everything. I'm like, wow, ooh, cool. I don't really even stop to think about it too much because I'm like, but I think together as a group, I think we'll get some traction here and there, and, and we'll figure some stuff out. I'm looking forward to it. So, naughty, naughty, we went ahead two chapters. <laughs> I know. That's okay. I did it last Sunday by saying, well, you know, this is coming. And I didn't. Well, <laughs> I knew you were listening. That's good. Good job. So we're, we're going to go back in chapter 19. We're in the middle of the two roars, celebration, hallelujah, and, and praise. So we're going to pick it back up. At, I think we were like at verse 7 is where we kind of ended last Sunday. We're going to pick it up at verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 6 this morning. And just, just kind of to remember... It's interesting that first part of chapter 19, John keeps saying, well, I heard this, and then I heard this, and then I heard that. And then he's going to transition over to, I saw, I saw, I saw. I'd never noticed that before. But a commentator was like, you know, hey, heads up, this is important. I never noticed it. So here's another I heard, verse 6. 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters. And that's biblically in Hebrew, that's a description of like, like Niagara Falls, a falls where it's just constant, constant thunder, just roar. So it says, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, hallelujah, which literally means praise the Lord. Like Yah is God. Hallel is we praise. So praise the Lord. For our, for our Lord God Almighty does what? Reign. So this, this multitude, this great multitude in heaven, is praising God uh, with a mighty shout. And the very first thing that we are praising God for and declaring is that he reigns. Why is that particularly spot on in this moment? Why does that make sense in this moment? Babylon's been destroyed. What's happening now? Christ is coming and is begun to reign on the earth. We've been longing for ever since Adam and Eve biffed in the garden. We've been wishing and longing for when God would come back and reign upon the earth. So this is we're saying it's here, it's happened. Hallelujah! Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. I don't know. We've been singing that a little bit in worship. Let us rejoice and be glad. I, I need to train you up. So this is how we do that with the song. Let us rejoice and be glad. Clap, clap. Don't make me get hard on you with clap back. You gotta do the clap back. Let us rejoice and be glad. Giving the glory to him. Just keep talking. It's not hard. Let us rejoice and be glad. Give him glory. Let us be glad. Give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself Who's the lamb? Jesus. Who's the bride? Believers. We are. We won't get over it, guys. <laughs> but it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's the image. It's uh, so we understand the marriage, bridegroom, bride, together forever. This is why, this is why these things, God gives us these laws about human why God's desire and design is for um, us, the two of us, to become one flesh forever. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is why God says, do not commit adultery. You mess with, because our human marriages, yeah, they're full of works and stuff, amen? Okay? But our human marriages, especially our Christian human marriages, are to be like a, an earthly picture of God's greatest desire for all eternity, which is the perfect wedding of the perfect bridegroom and the perfect bride. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Stop. Jesus makes you perfect. He prepares you and makes you the perfect bride for him. And we will be wedded together forever. Will we ever wander? Will we ever think of another? Will we ever commit adultery? No, this is going to be perfect wedding forever. So that's why God has these laws about our human marriages, he wants us to be keeping in mind uh, the perfect forever wedding that's coming. Yeah? We don't talk about it, think about that one much, do we? All right, so uh, let's.
let's look at this wedding stuff a little bit. Wedding of the Lamb. Has, has the Bible talked about that before? Is this a brand new notion for us here in Revelation chapter 19? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. I don't know. We might spend some time on this, but mostly just kind of want to read through it to, to see. Here's a foundational aspect of the wedding that uh, Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 22. So Jesus has been speaking to chief priests and Pharisees in the crowds here. He's been telling them lots of parables, trying to reach their hearts and minds, even though they're really grumpy old nerds busted, right? He's trying to reach them, trying to love them. So in chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke to them again. So he's speaking again to the chief priests, the Pharisees. Uh, come on, you guys, get with the program. Spoke to them again, parables saying, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is like king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So is this, is this a true representation of what God the Father is, is up to right now? He is preparing a wedding banquet for his son Jesus right now. Verse 3. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Okay, who's he talking about right now? The world in general, but specifically here in Jesus' ministry, who do you reach out to first? Paul did always did too. Reach out to the Israelites, right? They had the prophets, they had all the history, they had all the promises. They were the ones who were supposed to be prepared to receive the Messiah, Jesus, and then run with his program through the earth. And so God sent his service to prophets to those who had been invited to the banquet, the Israelites, to tell them to come. They refuse to come. This is a generalization, right? But who's he talking to specifically in the parable? Can you tell us who's he talking to? Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sadducees, and they were the most learned of everybody in Israel about the scriptures. They should have been the most ready to receive and welcome Jesus Messiah. And the vast majority of them did not. So that's what Jesus is telling. He says, um, the Father sent servants, prophets, and so forth. Invited you to the banquet, uh, John the Baptist, being the most recent and the most one of the most wonderful, told you to get ready to come to the banquet, and they refused to come. So he's speaking directly to those who are right now refusing, and, and this story is about you. So please, let your ears be able to hear, take it to heart. Verse 4. Then he, the Father, sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Direct an appeal from the Father, right? To all those invited. He sent out additional servants. You know, that might be a reference to the disciples. Sent out additional ones to discover, hey, the meat, in fact, so, so what is he? What is Jesus making clear now? He says, when the oxen, fat, and cattle have been butchered, they've been cooked, everything is ready. What is he saying to the his listeners right now? Say it, Diana. Now. The invitation to you is now. 
cannot hesitate, you cannot think about it for two hours because then the meat will be cold and yucky. Now is the moment of your invitation. It's powerful, isn't it? Jesus is doing all he can to reach you. He says, now come to the wedding banquet, verse 5. But they paid no attention, went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, killed them. And this is the history of Israel. Um, the, the majority of God's prophets were killed, mistreated and killed over the years, over the generations. So verse 7, how does God the Father, the king, feel about this? The king was what? Enraged. He sent his army, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. happen AD 70 roughly 40 years after Jesus Jerusalem is going to destroy or Rome is going to destroy Jerusalem wipe out the city wipe out the buildings wipe out the temple the whole thing but uh, this is also uh, also lines up perfectly with the end times one of the things God notes about, this is why I'm destroying Babylon, because the blood of the saints, the blood of my children is all over Babylon. You've murdered my children. Even you, so, things are done. So, the king was enraged, sent his army, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. So, we look at this, we need to keep this in mind, okay? We've been last four, five, six chapters in Revelation, we've gotten, uh, gotten our gullet full of judgment. And it, it seems if you just if you just didn't know anything, if you didn't know anything about God, you just dove into those chapters and read about what God is doing to people, what would you think about God? Angry, nasty. Oh. What's that response to? Why does God's judgment come like that? Because he prepared a wedding banquet sacrificed his own son to make it possible. He sent forth humble servants to beg people to come to the wedding banquet and be part of it. And they not only said no thanks, but they actually turned around and mistreated and killed, murdered his messengers who gave the invitation. So then when you look at it in that context, judgment true and just. If I send invitations to you today to come to my house at 4 o'clock for a free meal just because I love you, and you beat and murdered the people I sent to bring you the invitation, what would justice say should be your treatment? Passengers. The verse, sorry, my, so many eye drops now that sometimes the smaller print words. Verse and the verse numbers are tiny. Verse 8. <clears throat> then he said to his servants, To his servants now, the wedding banquet is ready, 
those I invited who did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet, stay with me and I'll give a very good shot. And mine says, anyone you find. So who gets the first invitation to the banquet? The Israelites. They get many, 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 many invitations. Invitations to the Israelites in this moment have been completed. And they get to fill up the banquet hall. You know, just, this is just an illustration. It's not God saying, gee, we got space in heaven. I guess we should go look for others. That's not what this is. Because you had the opportunity to fill up heaven. And you refused invitation. And now is the time to, and you have the best opportunity to expect the invitation to love the one who's inviting you and to say yes with all your heart. Did Jesus say earlier about them not being told they did not deserve to come? So the invitation goes out. Now who's the invitation going out to? street corners, invite the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out in the streets, gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You could say, well, deserve the invitation. I'm, I'm among the bad there. Both the good and the bad. The wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11. When the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. So you would, at a Jewish wedding, you'd put on you know, your, your linen best. And in this, sometimes if you had a wealthy, wealthy dad who was inviting everybody to his son's wedding, he might provide beautiful linen for everybody to wear, so everybody would look the same and you know have the same beautiful attire. Of course, this being God, you say, "Well, oh, that kind of makes sense." Does God provide for us beautiful wedding clothes to wear in heaven? What do they look like? White, white robes made of the righteousness of Jesus Himself. So. So the king comes in and wants to see his, his wedding hall is now full, which is what was his desire all along, amen? He wanted to fill the place up from the very beginning. Now he comes in to see that it's full of guests. And he, he notices a man there who is not wearing wedding clothes. Now it's fascinating to me. What does he call him in verse 12, first word? Friend. Fascinating. Friend, he asks.
there's going to be a clear example of the wedding clothes that are needed. So the man didn't have wedding clothes. Man was speechless. Verse 13, and the king told the attendant, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside in the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many invited, are invited to Peter to kill the king. If somehow he was in the wedding hall, Okay, so Janet says, is that somebody who thinks they can get in by good works? That's a real possibility. Lines up. And so when, when the king asked him, well, where's your wedding clothes that I have provided for my son? Sorry, I don't, I don't have those. You don't. You can't be here on your own. You've got to have the wedding clothes I provide. Yeah, that can be a very good answer to that. Other ideas? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's only through me. We have to put on his righteousness or we can't get in. Yeah. And Satan comes to steal and go through the, not go through the gate. And he slips people in. But the gatekeeper comes and says, hey, where are you? Who are you? You don't belong here. Yeah. So he pitches them out. Yeah. Good. I think it goes along with exactly what Janet said and maybe broaden it a little bit, saying anybody who thinks they belong there without coming through Jesus is going to be speechless in a moment ago. Sorry, but nobody belongs there. I thought, you know, the invitation was anybody who could come, and so I I figured I was among the good that could come. assumes, you know, ah, you're Jesus lovers, all you care about is, you know, only men and women get married, you know, they see all that stuff, and they assume things about Jesus without ever bothering Christ, and knowing, pick up a Bible and actually read it for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's devastating. So, for whatever reason, he thought he could be there Tolerance in that situation. It's, 
got Christ Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. There's a super clear, right? Super clear teaching from Jesus about the wedding banquet, the bridegroom, the bride, and how Israel is, is the first invited, expected to fill the banquet hall. Doesn't happen. That's all right. We're going to fill the banquet hall with believers from all over the world, from Gentiles all over the world. We're so thankful that we're welcome. Good and the bad. can't wear your clothes. <laughs> You've got to wear God's provision. You mean my tie won't get me in? Nope. You mean my white shirt? <laughs> yeah. Jesus is very 
very, very aware of himself being the bridegroom. And that he's gathering his bride. It's very powerful. Let's go to, um, you hear this now and then in wedding ceremonies, uh, especially ones that happen through now. I give, when couples come to me for wedding preparation, I give them a list of like 15 to 20 commonly chosen passages for weddings. Let them Fairly often, they'll choose from Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start in verses 21 and 27. Ephesians chapter 5. It's, in, it's a fascinating passage because Paul does this mind-bending thing where he starts talking about marriage, wives and husbands, and how wives submit and husbands love. Wives submit like they do to Jesus. The husbands love like Jesus loved the church. So goes this stuff, and then he starts mixing in. Of course, this is kind of like how Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. And then he goes back and forth, and half the time you don't know which one he's talking about for sure. He's like, well, of course, right now I'm talking about Jesus and the church. Well, huh? <laughs> so it's a fascinating uh, passage. We're going to jump right into the. Jesus bridegroom part. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. So Paul writes here, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Now there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. So, so Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. When did Jesus give himself up for the church? For what purpose? Lots to accomplish, lots of things. But in this context, Jesus gave himself up for us on the cross to make us, what? To make her holy, to make us holy, <coughs> cleansing her, cleansing us, so to make us holy. So we can enter into the wedding banquet hall with a white robe of righteousness because who has made us clean and holy and pure and white? Jesus. Jesus has. So this is fascinating because the Bible talks about the bride making herself ready, and you think, oh, I can't work with that. And we do. But on the other hand, I can't make myself holy, pure, and white enough. I've got to have who make me holy, pure, and white. Jesus has to do it for me. So it's, it's a fascinating yes and. I've got to have Christ, but I need to prepare myself to it. How do I prepare myself? By saying yes to Jesus and then walking with him. how I do that. It's so fascinating because the Bible says, hey, you got to make yourself ready. Prepare yourself to be the bride. But on the other hand, Jesus prepares you and makes you fit to be his bride. Fascinating, right? Verse 26, to make her holy, Jesus gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing her by the, what do we expect to see there? Cleansing us by what? Yeah. Don't look at the verse, but what do we expect to be cleansed by? Okay, before you get to the water, if I if we didn't know the water, what would you expect to be cleansed by? He just he died for us on the cross and cleansed us with his with Lens. his blood. That's what I expect. Right? Fascinating. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So when do we get washed with water through the word? Every well, Sunday. That's baptism, right? Specifically. But are there other things you can 
throw in there too, certainly. Fascinating that he says, hey, we get cleansed by the washing with water through the word. It's not holy water, right? Doesn't have to be from the Jordan River or something. I mean, that's cool, but it doesn't have to be. But what makes the water holy and able to cleanse? It comes with the word and the promise of God. Verse 27, so, so Jesus cleanses us. And, and how does he cleanse us with water and the word? Well, he purchases the power and the authority and the right to do that through the shedding of his blood on the cross. So it's all true. Yes, he cleanses us by his blood. Yes, he also cleanses us by the water and the word in baptism. Other ways too, but yes. But then, you know, there is something about that word, because if you think about it, when we all need Christ, we get to choose the word, we'll find you are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, there's a pronounced change yes. after you're saved from addiction and repentance. I mean, there's a time period where that word is spoken. Yeah. You are, so it is part of the word. I agree. Yeah, that's good. Is Powerful and wonderful and amazing. strange, too. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Word, huge. So, um, <clears throat> that word is heard and spoken. Yes. So Jesus gives himself up for the cross to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. And this is where you need to get your, your Jesus glasses on and say, when Jesus sees me and the bride at the moment of the wedding, how are we going to appear to him? We are going to be radiant. Now, I love being being a, a husband. Um, I love it's really easy for me being a husband because I'm like I think the moment that we stepped out in the narthex of the church on our wedding day to come up the aisle and become a wife. I remember that moment crystal clear. Thirty-five and a half years ago, I can see it right now. Radiant, right? That's that's every every husband's uh, hope treasured moment. Exactly what scripture is describing here. Jesus says in that moment, she's going to be radiant from now. I'm going to be so enthralled with you. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Holy and blameless. Wow. That's you and me, folks. Need to soak in that once in a while. Because how often do we feel like that? How often do we see ourselves that way? It's pretty good. I spend a lot of time confessing and saying, Thank you, Lord, you want me to be become more like this. And now and then we need to soak in this and know it's true. I'm, I'm working at preparing myself to be your beautiful bride. You know what? He's going to make you gorgeous. He's going to make you radiant. So there, we did one verse. Today. <laughs> I don't know. I promised we were going to finish Revelation this year, didn't I? Uh, that might have been foolhardy.
Revelation 19, he said, Let us rejoice and be glad, giving glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come, the bride is made in the Lamb. Come back there and finish it out on Sunday. Amen? Amen. Lord willing, mighty God, uh, thank you for all for inviting us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting us. Thank you for providing the wedding clothes for us. Thank you for making us holy, blameless, without wrinkle or stain, making us radiant for years. Help us, Lord, to grow and prepare ourselves, but we're so glad that you do the ultimate work. And we, we long for the moment when we see our bridegroom smile on his face, welcoming us up to the altar. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord, in your precious name.